0: Hey everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Blind Ambition with Jack Kelly. It's your friend, Rick from Blind, and today we're going to flip the script a little bit. And actually, Jack, you're going to be the spotlight. <laughs> um, I'm going to introduce everyone to you. So, Jack. Welcome aboard. You're the founder and CEO of the Compliance Search Group, one of the leading and most trusted executive search firms specializing in recruiting finance and banking professionals. That's folks specialized in compliance, legal, regulatory, risk management, audit, corporate governance, accounting, tax, and and more. The audience, you all know Jack as being passionate about advocating for job seekers and working professionals. You know, he gives back as a Forbes senior contributor covering the latest in workplace trends and also providing tactical career advice and cider tips from his background as a recruiter for more than 20 years. Uh, you're the founder of the recruiting startup. We Recruiter, and of course, the co-host of this podcast, The Blind Ambition with Jack Kelly. Is that right? Thanks for coming That the show, Jack. Well,
1: thank you. You know, (laughs) hey, I think it's cool.
0: You know, it helps.
1: We probably had, what, 150 episodes, and I think people can get a vibe about who we are, but we really never properly introduced ourselves, which we probably should have done day one. So, We've only hundred and fifty episodes later that we thought of it or you thought of it, Rick. And um I'm glad I'm I think this is cool because we can give some insight. And also as a humble brag, I've also written two books about how to get a job during tough times, which is very appropriate right now for people. Uh so uh I gotta say it's it's been a crazy journey. It's 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 recruiting and I don't know how many recruiters you know. But it's one of those areas like you fall into. It's not as if you grow up and you say, hey, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a doctor. Now, I guess nowadays, I want to be a tech CEO. But they would never say, I want to be a recruiter. I mean, that's just like off the radar scope. And just to give some insights behind the curtain, most recruiters, and I don't think they would be mad at me for sharing this. They went into recruiting after trying, and this is me, I got to tell you, this is true. You fail at a whole bunch of other things. And then finally, somehow you just fall into recruiting because that's just one of the jobs that you've been trying along that continuum. And finally, for a lot of people, it clicks and either they're super successful and they stay in it for a long time
0: or they're like, mm, last for a bit and then leave. I, I mean, I'm gonna tease you and add yeah. to the dog pile if you'll allow me. Mm-hmm. But you know, as a PR professional, I've got to say it's got to be the same thing. Similar, like, yeah. No one, yeah, like no one really wakes up and says, you know what? <laughs> I want to get a college degree and I want to ghostwrite for an executive or a CEO, or I want to tell executives like what not to say when they speak with a reporter. Like very, very few and far in between um, in, in terms of kind of um, true ambitions for a kid or an aspiring graduate, I'd say.
1: It is interesting how some people could know. We've had guests on the show who know at an early age what they want to do. You know, they're coding when they're like three months old and you know that's what they're going to be. But then right. others, we've had, and and I really respect these people who will say, hey, I tried this like Sean Kim from Kajabi, I remember, first guy who was saying that on this podcast was like, hey, I failed at this and failed at that. And I was dumbstruck. Like, why are you leading with failing? And he would be, well, that's how it works. You fail, you learn, you iterate and you move forward. And it's it's been an eye opening experience kind of interacting with these people. And you're right. Like we fall into these things. I, 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 I became a recruiter cuz I tried a bunch of other stuff which in a way I guess I could applaud myself for having the guts to say hey I'm going to try you know you know you know working on Wall Street I could try doing something else and so forth but then if I'm not really crazy about it to say you know what I'm not crazy about it I'm going to cut my losses or not even cut my losses to say gonna, I I want to see something else and then in particular with recruiting what ends up happening you go to a recruiter in my case in New York City and you meet with in a recruiting agency. And here's the thing that happens a lot. If you have like schmoozability and you have like a little bit of the gift of gab, they'll come back and say, Huh, Jack, have you ever considered being a recruiter? And of course, I would say, No, I never really had any thoughts of that. I didn't come for you for this. I came for some job that I was interested in on Wall Street. And- right. But then they would sell you on, why it's so great. But I've always had, re- this is really interesting. Ever since I was a kid, I don't know why. It could be because my grandpa, but he, I didn't even know him. He passed away. He, he ran a small store, right? Small, I think, shoe store. And he was like the only one in the family who was an entrepreneur. And I thought that was really cool. And it must have stuck in my mind because even as a young kid, I was like, I would want to run my own business, So then when I was kind of knocking around for a bunch of years, um, and when this guy, you know, told me about recruiting, the light bulb went on, and I don't know if I've ever told you the story. So after speaking to this person about doing recruiting, I had a friend uh, who I worked with on Wall Street. He was an analyst, and he goes, Jack, I'm very good friends with this guy, Ed Caligari, who at the time owned a very large, very successful executive search firm. And he goes, Jack, I'll introduce you. And, you know, he'll be honest with you. I go to the guy's office and Ed was just a gentleman, a really nice guy, completely down to earth. And I'm walking around the office and I'm looking around. Everyone's on the phone. There's a buzz in the air. Everyone seemed like jazzed and motivated. I'm like, huh. And so I got more interested. Then I started really talking with Ed. And honest to God, if he, he was like Brad Pitt or, or or you know, one of those like really just like amazing kind of, you know, guys, George Clooney, pro, I, I'd be honest, at that time at my age, then I would have been intimidated in saying, I don't think I'm ever going to do this. But... Because he was so approachable, he was so down to earth, and he's such like a regular guy that I was like, oh, if he can do it, I can do it. And then right away, I went back to my recruiter and said, you know what, I'm going to do it. Because in my mind, I was thinking, hey, if this guy can do it, so if he can do it, why can't I? And then I, I started and I fell in love with it because, as you mentioned in the introduction, I really enjoy helping people, and I know that sounds so uh, helping people, right, but it's true because what ends up happening if like you place somebody, not only do you make money doing it, but it's like a great feeling it's a dopamine hit hit because now you feel, hey, I took Rick, who was working at you know a B C widget company, unhappy, miserable, the boss is like a micromanager, I'm able to find Rick, this better job, more money, more opportunity, more growth. And then like their life is changed. So I get paid and just to, to let people know, I'll be very transparent when recruiters, they get paid only when they play somebody and it's usually about 20, 25, 30% of the base annual salary. So if you play somebody, if you play somebody for a hundred thousand, 200,000, 250, 300,000 and you're getting 20, 25%, that's, you know, that's a lot of money coming in. So. I hit it very lucky because I I worked with compliance people and this is going back 20 years ago. These are the folks who are like they considered back office paper shufflers and you know, they weren't valued. And I was thinking, hmm, instead of and this might be a kind of a takeaway lesson for people, instead of going after like investment bankers that are sexier, or the traders that were sexier. I figured, wait, why knock my head against the wall fighting against all these others where this space is kind of underserved? No one's really paying attention to it. So maybe I could come in there and really be the big shot there. And sure enough, I moved in there. It was a sleepy area. I was able to really build. And then I lucked out because this became the time when there was just all these issues on Wall Street, all these problems. So compliance all of a sudden became so important because they felt like, hey, you know, insider trading, trading. Uh, you they had to put an anti-money laundering KYC because you had ter- 9-11 terrorists, you know, were filing money to do bad stuff. And so sometimes you're just lucky. So it was just a straight-up rocket ship where there was just so much demand. It was unbelievable. And it's like, How did I, this is amazing. How did I fall into this? It's so crazy. So it's weird how these careers go, which sometimes you're in the right place. Like I'll I'll share this with a lot of job seekers that, you know, a lot of times you're in the wrong place at the wrong time and it sucks. But every once in a while, you get in the right place at the right time and it clicks and then you're golden and then it works.
0: I mean, I kind of want to break that down a little bit because it, it seems that, you know, in broad strokes, you talk about how you kind of accidentally landed into recruiting and mm-hmm. executive search, but it seems like you had the hard skills underlying, right? Where there was a mentor that brought you along, showed you the ropes of the business, almost like an apprenticeship. And through your like personal experience and your curative entrepreneurialism that you found this like green space mm-hmm. in terms of well, no one cares about this back office or no one cares about this whole job function. Um, I'm going to specialize and focus there because no one else is doing it. I'm going to serve that community. And then to your point, kind of the luck happens. And so it's almost like stars align in terms of, you know, obviously you have to build the skills and be ready positioned for the time when, you know, the stars did align that you were able to just kind of naturally benefit and it lined up to you. So
1: a 100%, I'll go backwards with what, you know, unpacking what you're saying. Sometimes, yeah, Yeah. if you catch it at the right time, the stars align. It's just perfect. It's amazing what happens. But what people don't realize, you may have spent 10 years building up to that because that's kind of what happened a little bit. The time, everything blew up in a good way, meaning the business and the need for it. I already had 10 plus years under my belt so that it was natural when companies like Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs and Deutsche Bank and Credit Suisse and, uh, you know, uh, hedge funds, private equity shops, they would come to us because we were a known brand because we've been doing this for like 10 plus years and there weren't a lot of competition. So we really owned a big chunk of the space. And then over the course of 10 whatever years building up, then we really knew our stuff because to be fair, I was, I would say I would rank myself as a C in terms of like selling, marketing, um, you know, you know, that seriously at that time in my life. Really? Yeah. But when is it what ends up happening? And this, this is, the, this is really cool for people, you know, who could appreciate it if you go through the same thing. You get a little win under your belt, right? You make a placement. You're like, oh, wow, this is great. I made a placement. I'm making some nice money. You make another one and then another one. Then all of a sudden, those little victories give you that strength to feel more confidence and feel better about yourself. And, and then you you just an exit because now you've learned the skills, you understand what these jobs are, you know inside and out. You know who the players are, you know who the HR people, who the hiring managers are, and and then you have the confidence to really go after people. And sell them because it's really awkward. If anybody like Rick, if you've ever had someone at prior jobs, if they're recruiting you, you could tell the ones who are really good, who could, could really tell us like the story to get you to move and, uh, uh, compared to others that you could say is like, Oh man, they're like a used car salesperson. This is just right. I, I'm, I'm no, even if it's a great job, I don't trust you. I'm out of here. So it's a combination of these things. So if you're going through your career and it's not, not necessarily going. It just might mean you need a little longer runway to get more confidence, to to build up on it, to get more victories. And then, you know what it is too, Rick? It's like, you know how they say, pursue your passion? Right. It's I find it, it's a weird, it's not exactly that. What ends up happening, I think, is that you do well at something and you're making money and you're succeeding. Then you become passionate about it. Because like I wasn't passionate necessarily about let's say playing you know placing compliance officers. Nothing wrong, right, indifferent. It just wasn't passion. It was something. Right. And I became passionate not to be gross about it, became passionate when I know, wow, I can make money at it, I can build a business on it, I can make a living, I can provide for my family, I can provide for my future retirement. So then complete passion, <laughs> complete utter if you ask my wife, obsession because I was constantly working and these are the days it wasn't remote work. So I would have, right. we were in New York City, we lived on the upper West side, had one kid, two kids, thought, okay, now we got to go to a suburb. So we have room, you know, you know, grasp, have to commute back and forth. So it's, it was a whole different ball game and how this played out. So I would, I would always be working and the time I would come home, I would eat, work some more. And nonstop. So it's it it just that becomes that your passion because you're so driven and you keep wanting to get those dopamine hits that it's hard to stop.
0: Yeah, I I mean I I I think people underestimate the impact of that positive feedback because it could be anything from your manager or your peer or like even a client saying, like, hey, that's a job well done, Rick. Like, kudos to you. To you know obviously, when the hard dollars start hitting your bank account, right mm-hmm. when you start landing these bonuses, when you start uh earning these promotions with these like pay hikes or you get that you know refresher for your stock based comp um and you start seeing your t c your total comp just go higher and higher i I think people really underestimate that value right because often told like hey. Uh, you know, money is taboo, like it it shouldn't be the only thing, but it it can certainly be a driver for folks, right? In terms of almost serving as a proof point and saying, hey, like your pay is getting higher or you're landing that bonus and um, you're you're getting that feedback in the sense like, oh, I'm actually good at this, right? And when you're good at this, you're probably going to be more motivated um, to continue working and and doing more of that. Um, And it seems like, uh, that was certainly the case with your background.
1: You, you're so right, because what happens is this, and I'll be very candid about it. You know, when you yeah. feel like a loser, like trying things, it's not working, trying things, not working, it wrecks your self-esteem and it wrecks you know, your mental health, but you keep trying. So then when you do latch on to something that works, it's like the best feeling in the world because you're like, Oh, all right, I'm not going to be a loser for the rest of my life. You know, all right, I can, you know, have a family. I can have everything. And then you also get to the point where it gives you that number one security, but then also it allows you to do other things. So, for instance, the last few years has been just chaotic for recruiting. But what happened, I was a few years back, started looking where things are going and it didn't look so great for, you know, the recruiting area because of the economy and the job market. So I about six, probably six years now that I started writing for Forbes because I was an OK writer. I like writing. I wrote for my I wrote a blog for my company just just to kind of keep everybody in touch with what's going on. So when Forbes saw it and they said, hey, you probably would be good. Would you join? And And, you know, I I said, yeah, fine, great. And I would write about leadership and careers so it could run through anything about, hey, what's Elon Musk doing to how to negotiate salaries and everything in between. And then I met with Rick and doing the Blind Ambition podcast. So sometimes also what ends up happening is that when you're able to build a nest egg, it gives you open opportunities so you don't feel trapped. So let's say if I didn't save or I squandered my money or I lived big buying, a, you know, a Lamborghini and the like ginormous house in the Hamptons or whatever, or really speculating on crypto. I was really very focused on, on, on making sure that I would have something for the future so that if I ever wanted to do certain things that didn't make a lot of money, I could do it because I enjoy doing it. And obviously, I want to make some money on it, too. But the pressure is off. So then you could keep going and be happy for a lot of years as you get older because you see so many people who are working and they hate it and they're miserable because they didn't save and they're getting older and they're bitter. So this way you can do things you want to do, and it gives you that freedom. And having that freedom is just amazing.
0: You know, I I think a lot of folks, they tend to get into – this habit or this mind of thinking money is almost like mm-hmm. points in a video game, mm-hmm. right? Where you're accumulating it for the sake of accumulating it. And maybe there's a sense for some folks, like just generally more is better than less. Um But they get to this point where they've earned a lot and they, they keep going. And I mean, it's fine, but they almost kind of forget like what, money can do, right, in the sense mm-hmm. of it's a tool to provide for your family or to provide for yourself, to give you that kind of freedom or stability or independence even uh, to be willing to try other things or do other things rather than kind of getting in this, like, loop of, well, you know, over time I should be getting more promotions or mm-hmm. be getting more raises or, or or saving more is generally the right thing to do. But it's almost like you're stuck with the process rather than what it can unlock. And I really appreciate that reminder and sense of, yeah, actually maybe you should kind of work up and and earn that that money and then branch out in your career, find those passions or go deeper into those passions.
1: Absolutely. And then you can always return back too, because you still have this muscle memory for that. So it's not as if you have to close the door. So then you just, you have more options and know that, all right, If everything comes to a stop, I'm still cool. I'm still okay, And I don't have to worry. And that that helps out with your career, too, because, you know, when you deal with people who are are financially insecure, insecure about their job, sometimes they're the hardest to deal with because they're so frantic and understandably so. And then it's hard for them particularly when they interview, it's hard for them to come across well, because they're so nervous. They're so frantic. So they're worried if I don't get this right. job. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. You know, I have my kids going to college. Ah, and then you, you don't perform well. So I'm throwing that in because that mindset, in my opinion, is very helpful in terms of part of your whole career trajectory.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, to your point, it's almost like the stakes are too high, right? And I mean, I hate to say this. I don't know about your experience as a re- recruiter, but, you know, as a hiring manager, when, you know, I, I'm on the other side of the table and I'm making these decisions, sometimes you can feel it all yeah. during the interview, right? And this might not be the best thing to say, but as the interviewer, as the hiring manager, sometimes it gives you the worst vibes, right? And they tend to do worse and you tend to have a poor impression of the candidate and and so in in terms of setting yourself up for success you know just not having that right mindset in Mm -hmm. terms of being i would say like wise with your money or thrifty even um can certainly harm your professional prospects
1: all the time rick it happens all the time you can you feel it it's just like when you ever go into a room and you just get this vibe this feel you know like Either you feel like very welcome and it's great, or just like something's off. Oh, poor
0: guy, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. Same thing with the candidate. They come in, and you could tell they're carrying a lot of baggage. And someone's gonna hire them. They're like, I don't want to hire someone with a lot of baggage. There's something wrong there. Is it right, wrong, I don't know. But it it, it impact you know it, it impacts how well or not well you do in the interview process.
0: Right. I I mean. Are there other things from your experience, 20 plus years of recruiting, giving folks like career advice, kind of or counterfactual things that folks might not know that are actually impacting how they're seen at work or how they're seen when they're applying for a job? How about this? There's
1: this thing that I don't think many people talk about. When you have a hiring manager, you know, you hire people from time to time. You may have all the right Experiences or the right credentials, but you may lose out to another candidate who is upbeat, who is positive, who has charisma, who has a likability factor, who, who resonates. Like I, this could be that go-to person. And what happens, I know is with a lot of interviews, people come in and they're very robotic. You know, they're waiting Mm -hmm. for the question, answer the question, get another question, answer the question. And you can't get a good feel for that. And as we talked before, sometimes people come in with that baggage and they just feel
0: kind of toxic. The vibes are off.
1: Yeah. But if you come in and you come across as the person who you feel good about, like the person could have small talk. So like when you before the interview starts, a little chit chat, a little whatever, and maybe you did some homework on the interviewer so you know that you know they're a fan of. You know, the Kansas City Chiefs or whatever it might be. So you open up a dialogue and then maybe you find something in common and now you're talking and you're laughing. You're getting a good vibe. That, that is very important. And I've seen over the years the person who could do that and the interview hiring manager really feels that connection and they like you because you're, you're, you have emotion. You're, and you're excited and you're upbeat. That wins a lot of the offers because that's what they want. Like a hiring manager would want someone who has all the skills. Yes. But if they're just a pain in the ass to deal with and annoying and they have a crappy personality and they're they're always like irritable. It's like I'd rather go with the other person who, who has more positive attributes, even if they're not as good, because I could at least I feel I could work better with that person. And then I could always teach them the things that they need to learn. So that's one thing I think that people don't talk enough about is how you come across, and you want to come across basically as a winner. You want to come across as someone who could get things done, and as the boss, Rick, if someone's going there, knowing that if you call me, you know, late at night, weekends, I'm there for you. I'm going to be there, and. You know, you feel it when you have those candidates and that's what they want. And and it's reasonable, right? It's just reasonable because you, you need that person who you're hiring to help you get up the ladder and do well. So I think that's something is very underrated.
0: I I think just not to kind of to break it down and not to kind of oversimplify. It's certainly not a defense of the so-called personality hire, Mm -hmm. but you know, from my end Mm -hmm. as a hiring manager, some of these roles that I'm interviewing for, I have dozens of folks, even at the final stages, the panel interviews. And the one thing that I found works really well for myself in my career, um, and I certainly see it now that I'm on the other side as a hiring manager, is um, being able to kind of craft a story around your candidacy, around your resume, right? Because, you know, as a hiring manager, when I get to kind of the debriefs, After we've interviewed the candidates at the final panel interview, sometimes we're talking about dozens of people. And, you know, when it's for a certain role and when it's for a senior role, um, the experiences tend to be very similar, right? They all have the hard skills. They all worked at great companies. That's why we brought them in and they got so far in the rounds that they did. But sometimes, to your point, they're a little robotic, right? No one stands out sometimes. You know, I I hate to say this to to all the people that might be listening that might have interviewed with me previously. Sometimes I say, which candidate are we talking about again? You know, I'm in the panel and roundtable. I'm on the conference call debrief and saying like, oh, gosh, like I don't even know which candidate we're talking about. But, you know, one kind of strategy or tactic that I've used myself when I'm, you know, a candidate is I think far ahead and I say, Gosh, when the hiring manager and the recruiter and all the people that I'm meeting in the panel interview, I don't want that to happen. I want them to remember, oh, Rick was the guy that was a self-taught PR person, right? Or Rick is the guy that, you know, super energetic and super bubbly and he likes to travel. He's the worldly guy or something, you know, like almost kind of crafting a, a cheat code or a narrative or a messaging uh for who you want to be. And really kind of sticking to it and reinforcing that in your responses uh, during your interview, making sure, you know, the stories and examples that, you know, you point to or that you cite uh, kind of match that same story. It's almost like, uh, you know, you a reality show. I've been watching a lot of reality TV uh, and the producers there, they always do the edits, right? And in post-production and by the time you watch the episode, you're like, oh, that character is the crazy person right they get into the <laughs> crazy edits yeah. like all of the edits whenever they're shown on tv they're super dramatic right like they're almost become caricatures and you know when i interview i like to think in the same way like how can i almost be kind of a an exaggeration or a character where you know I, i'm saying things so much to the same point that they can only interpret my candidacy or my job location as one way right like oh Rick is the ex, and like all of his examples, like oh yeah, he 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 really is that kind of guy. Right, that makes so much sense.
1: It makes so much because like (laughs) if you have so many candidates. And they all blend together, which happens all the time. If you have someone like, Oh, I just got back from Japan. I just got back from Korea. I just did something that stands out. They go, Wow. What's Korea like? What's Japan like? So it, 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 you're right. Cause then it makes them stand out that they remember you compared to like 20 other people who meh. <laughs> just
0: you're, you're it. the, you're the 10th guy it, from yeah. Goldman Sachs yeah, yeah. or you're the, the fifth Google engineer yeah. that they've met with, right? <laughs>
1: Uh, it's, it's
0: it's really smart advice. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, so so Jack, I I really appreciate you for uh, you know being a part of the blind experience mm-hmm. and and lending your name to this podcast and, and and continuing to give back not only to just the professionals that you work with at your firm but also our, our community um, on blind in terms of all of that career advice. Um, and, and all of that support in terms of like really breaking down what the heck is going on mm. with the career world. Cause certainly in the last two, three years, God, it's, it's been a roller coaster. So thanks yeah. for being that stable voice there.
1: Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. This was fun. It's weird to be on the other side of it. Cause I'm so used to asking the questions. So this is <laughs> great.
0: That's it for the blind ambition. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.